Before we dive in, I have a quick request. We are eager to know more about our audience, so we created a short listener survey to help us learn more about you. Visit wondermedianetwork.com forward slash survey to share your thoughts and be entered to win some Wonder Media Network swag. That's wondermedianetwork.com forward slash survey. You can also find the link in the episode notes. Welcome to season two of the 43%. I'm Claudia Reuter. This show forgets about the leaning in or leaning out debate and talks to women about their path toward creating a life that includes both family and career. Because I just never felt I belonged in that world. And I felt I, a lot of times I was hustling for my own self-worth, you know, to prove to myself and others that, you know, I, I was good at my job and being a creative person, I always felt I did things very differently. I thought about things very differently. That was today's guest, Marissa Orr. Marissa is a former Google and Facebook executive, best-selling author, and leadership speaker. When I first described this podcast, I did so by saying I wanted to tell more stories of what was possible for women working to navigate family, careers, and everything in between while moving past the lean in or lean out debate. So I'm so appreciative to have been able to connect with Marissa, who's the author of the best-selling book, Lean Out, The Truth About Women, Power, and the Workplace. After 15 years of working at today's top tech giants, she has conducted talks for thousands of people in the US, Europe, and Asia Pacific at companies and universities, including Google, Twitter, Pace, New School, American Express, and more. In our conversation, she shared more about her own experiences as a mom, her research, and what she means by lean out. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what your current um, what your current experience is like? You know, you're a mom. Like, what is your what is a day in the life like for you right now? I have three kids, and I'm a single mom, so I try and wake up um, about an hour before they wake up and go to school, so that I get kind of some things done and off my plate before they leave. And then I take them to school and I usually come back and work at my desk. I work from home. I do, I write and I'm um, out there speaking at conferences and events. So um, I'm either writing and, and writing my keynotes and practicing and doing a bunch of other marketing and book promotional related activities. And I try and um, work out and run all the errands for the kids, like when my energy is is starting to fade, usually in the early afternoon, and then hang out with them after school. You know, I don't um, so that I can have those hours to work, and then just hang out, homework, dinner stuff. Very typical, I suppose, for a lot of uh, women working full time and, and for those working from home. Yeah, and so and how old are your kids again? My twins will they started third grade, they'll turn nine in November, and my older son is eleven. Wow, so you have twins and an eleven year old. That's pretty pretty busy time. You know, it's easier now when they were babies because that twins were a surprise. I mean, we were going to have a second, but not that quickly. And then I found out it was twins. So it was going from zero to three kids in two years, and they were, you know, 
I was working full time at Google in the city at that point, and it's like a black hole in my memory because I literally all I did was take care of babies and work and babies and work, and it was a really tough time. But once you get through something like that, you really feel you can handle a lot more than you thought. So you had a baby that was just like still little, right? Like just over one or he was two. He was two. He just turned two when the twins were born. So you had a two-year-old and then you had twins. Did you take a full maternity leave? And I'm not that that's like a vacation, but I'm just curious, like, did you have any time to Google is very generous with, and, and I was working at Google at the time, and they're very generous in their leave. And I had been there for so long at that point. I also had six weeks of vacation. So I took, it turns out I piled up all my vacation. I took about six months, but I also got very depressed during that time. I'll be honest for all, it was in the middle of the winter and, you know, being home with two babies and a toddler every day in the winter you know, it was, it was, I was looking forward to getting back to work by the end. I I just felt like a shell of myself. My kids are 23 months apart and days and I remember just feeling like it's just a lot to get through the day. Yeah. I felt very fortunate to have that time. And it's particularly with my first son, the first, it was interesting because I would say the first two months of that maternity leave, I cried all the time thinking about having to go back to work. And my at the time, my then husband, I kind of begged him, like, we have to figure it out. I can't go back to work. I can't leave my baby. And then as you know, the four and five month mark rolled around, I couldn't wait to get back to work. I mean, I wanted to work less hours. I had more time at home with my son. But at the same time, you know, not using my brain and, and, and having something to my identity more than being a mom, it was really, really getting to me. So it was just interesting how it flipped like that. And so, yeah. And then, and so you were at Google then, and then you went back. So after six months, you went back. And then at some point, according to your book, you went over to Facebook, right? Where, where were you on your journey then? Yeah. So I was at Google for just about 13 years and uh, Facebook was a very different experience than I had anticipated. I was at a point in my career where at Google, I was leaving on a high note. I had gone into this new role in the last couple of years there. It was just really well suited for me. I was pretty happy. I had a lot of flexibility. I had a great manager. She gave me a lot of autonomy. You know, once you've built your career to that point, I was under the mistaken assumption that because I knew what I was doing, I would be able to prove myself at Facebook in such a way that I could, you know, easily get the same kind of situation. Uh, And I admit that's naive, but that was where I was at at the time. The woman who had recruited me ended up really turning on me, and I was, she would turn out to be quintessential archetypal bully, and that whole experience broke me. So at this point, you've still got young kids. You're you're past the, the total baby stage, but you're still in it. You've started a new job at another great company for all intents and purposes, but it doesn't turn out anything like you thought it was going to at this point. No, I was at a real low point. It was a very isolating and, and dark experience for me. You know, what were what were some of the things that motivated motivated you to rethink 
what you were doing and you're out in what is really a very creative pursuit, right? You're right. You're a writer. You're, you're speaking. Um, you've really built this, this career as an, as a author entrepreneur, right? Do you remember a moment where you thought, okay, this is it. I'm stepping away from this to do something for me and, and my family or things at Facebook turned, fortunately it turned very quickly. It wasn't like there was this phase where everything was great. And then it turned by the, the third week, <laughs> one-on-one meeting with Cheryl Sandberg that I had asked her uh, to meet in person for a minute as an introduction at a conference because, you know, we have a very similar background in terms of we grew up in the same neighborhood and all this stuff. And I had at the time previously at Google had written this sort of female leadership lecture series in my, as a passion project, as a side project. And so all those things coming together made me just really want to reach out to her. And that meeting happened my second week at Facebook. The woman who had recruited me sort of saw that meeting as my attempt at um, like a make, to make a political power move, which um, she is very much a political animal, this this woman, the executive that, that hired me. But you know, it didn't matter. So the bullying started very quickly. And I soon realized, I mean, there was a whole HR investigation in which I did not want to participate that I, I totally knew I was going to be fired. It was the writing was on the wall for legal reasons. They had to wait a year and everybody in my life was encouraging me to go back to Google or to find a a different job in tech because you know, they were right in terms of nobody should have to subject themselves to that kind of abuse at work. What that situation really forced me to come to terms with was I was never going to be truly happy or realize my potential in the corporate structure. I'm a super creative person. And my true passion was this lecture series that had grown to you know, I, I presented it at other companies and a couple colleges in New York City when I was at Google, and I had put it aside to deal with the situation at Facebook. So I kind of used the experience there, work on this dream I had of turning those lectures into a book and being a public speaker, because I love really getting on stage and talking to women. So I, I didn't want this woman to have power over me. And I knew that her power over me in in a career context was absolute, but emotionally I could control my reaction. So the whole thing turned me, frankly, like straight up Buddhist because I started searching for ways to gain control of my emotional response and not, and, and to feel some, I felt very powerless in that scenario. And I knew that the first thing I had to regain power over was myself and my reactions. And so it's really when I started this journey of meditation and I'd wake up really early and, and I learned, you know, in order to, I decided I was going to write the book and use the experience at Facebook as, you know, I'd ride it out with a salary as long as I could until I had gotten farther along in my new career. So I was like kind of working on the new career as a, as a side project. So I was fired. And again, I say this in the first sentence of the book, so it's not a secret. But when I was fired from Facebook in September of 2017, I had already just about finished the book proposal, which had taken me about four months to write. Thought about for for the four months I was writing the book proposal, I thought, oh, I'll quit. In on this month, on this day, every weekend I'd work on my budget to see how long it would take me. But then that that date kept getting pushed out. And honestly, I don't know if I would have had the courage to quit because it felt so irresponsible, right? Like 
I'm a single mom of three kids. What what am I thinking? Like I am there I am the source of income for my house. So when I was fired, I you know, I chose to see it as a gift. Like it the universe was giving me a kick in the butt for something I needed to do anyway. And then it's been just about two years. It's been two years now. And it's been great in terms of my book is out there and that feels like such an accomplishment. But the lack of structure, the uncertainty, all that stuff, it's um it's not easy. I, I'm grateful I would not have it any other way, but um there's something to be said for that steady paycheck and benefits and uh, even the social structure, which I miss. So yeah, no. And I mean, I think there's, there's a, there's, there's so much courage in what you did too, because you're sharing, you're also, you're not just writing a book, you're sharing pretty, per, obviously pretty personal experiences and pretty low moments, right. In your career journey. Um, but you've, you've taken the, your reaction and you've taken this positive focus on really rethinking why, you know, why it is the way it is. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think in one part of your book, you talked about the idea that, um, you know, the structures that are there and people need to come up with another way, uh, to find satisfaction, you know, apart from the corporate structure. And when I think about the, some of the challenges with the corporate structure, I think about the fact that it was designed for a different era, right? It wasn't designed with technology in mind. It wasn't designed, you know, it was designed with a factory mindset of nine to five. And we've all been kind of pulling on it since then. What do you, you know, you brought up something else though. You brought up the idea that there's a dynamic among uh, colleagues and coworkers that can be toxic. And, And what did you find there as you were writing? So the experience at Facebook was really just fortuitous events that that caused me to sit down and actually write it. But the book isn't born, you know, the, the premise isn't born from the experience at Facebook. It was really looking at the my experience in the corporate world overall. Plus, I ha- am I'm a very big research nerd, and I have a fascination and borderline obsession with behavioral science and psychology and all that stuff. So it was really stitching together what I had learned from my research with my personal practical experiences that gave birth to this premise that in Lean Out one of which is what you're talking about with the dynamic of coworkers and and what that what I talk about is the fact that the corporate structure essentially is a zero sum game for power because you know if you win the promotion I lose the promotion and at Google and Facebook you're graded on a distribution so on a team no two people can be equally amazing or equally terrible you're either better or worse than your teammates and then when you couple that with the fact that most of us were in an information and knowledge economy. The output of our work is invisible. We create strategies or marketing campaigns or the impact we make on the business sometimes can't really be discerned. I mean, we in a large organization, there's so many people around doing so many different things. It's really hard to know who's doing a good job or who's even doing work at all. So when you layer this sort of invisibility on who's, you know, talented and doing a good job. And you couple that with a zero sum game, you get these toxic dynamics where, you know, first of all, people are pit against each other, right? Because if you and I have to compete for a promotion, that compromises the quality of our relationship. 
on top of that, when we have to compete for the promotion without some sort of objective criteria to judge our work, it becomes political. So, you know, it rewards these set of behaviors like aggression and, and dominance and self-promotion and the combination can be toxic, especially for women, because first of all, research shows that um, on average, more more women are um, motivated by and perform better in collaborative win-win environments, whereas men are more, uh, the opposite is true for men, or they they perform better and more motivated by competitive pursuits. So these competitions, a lot of times, you know, power inherent in women is, is their is relationships and connections. And when we can forge those in pursuit of a common goal, like women are really unstoppable, but the zero sum games and the politics at work really pit women against each other and they erode the fabric of female relationships, which in a lot of cases is one of the very things that make us strong. Yeah, no, and it's so well put. And I'd love your perspective. One of the things I've been wondering about, do you, did you see any correlation between, you know, we talk about how there are so fewer women in leadership positions across the board, right? Not at any one company, but across the board, there's fewer women in top leadership positions. There's certainly fewer women in tech. There's there's a scarcity mindset on what's possible. I think that we've conflated the term leader with manager. With a manager, your employees have to obey. And usually managers have total power over your your career. And the problem is we only associate, we only call these executive positions like leadership roles. And so when we see few women there, we can say, which is a large premise in Lean In, what Sheryl Sandberg calls the leadership ambition gap, that women don't aspire to be leaders to the same degree as men. And her whole book is really about why. And my point is that you know it's a tricky use of language. Women do aspire to be leaders and they're leaders female leaders everywhere, working longer hours and playing more office politics compromises your broader goals in life and reduces the quality of your life. I mean, how can we call that a win, you know? Um, so there's there's this problem with how we measure, you know, female progress and equality because when you only measure it on salary and like the wage gap and then number of CEOs and call it the gender gap, then in many cases, it can, uh, if you solve it, you might compromise the, the well-being of the people that you're trying to serve, and, and that's not progress. I loved talking with Marissa and hearing her thoughts on how the corporate world might encourage us to compete against each other rather than work with each other. I much prefer to work collectively towards a common goal. And that's exactly what Beta Brand is doing. They are a crowdfunding platform for fashion. Beta Brand welcomes feedback and brings crowdsourced ideas straight into the design room. Shoppers can vote for designs to become crowdfunded projects on the site. It's just one of the reasons why I love Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants. They take into account what women really want and work collaboratively to make the best pants possible. The dress pant yoga pants are such a smart design. They're comfortable, work appropriate, and versatile. They've got styles for different shapes, different sizes, and tastes like boot cut, straight leg, skinny, cropped, and more. They come in standard colors like black, navy, gray, khaki, and with seasonal and limited edition colors released monthly. 
Beta Brand reminds women that they should never have to compromise when it comes to being comfortable and looking amazing. To get your own pair, visit betabrand.com slash 43% to get 20% off. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com slash 43-P-E-R-C-E-N-T to get 20% off your dress pant yoga pants today. There is this this kind of step where it's like, well, are you going to get into management or keep doing what you're doing? And I, I hear you, I think, on what you're what you're going to. So you felt that in your role. It's like saying, why doesn't everybody want to be a, a nurse, or why doesn't everybody want to be an electrical engineer? Everybody likes different things, and if we're going for diversity, trying to get everybody to want the same things is the exact opposite. And part of um, the reason that I suggest. Well, let me give you a personal example of why I don't want to be CEO, and then I'll extrapolate. I'm very, like I said, I'm a very creative person. I like to dig into the work and solve problems and really create stuff, which is not what you do when you're a manager. You're linear. You're oper- You're an operational person, and you are in a position of, of formal authority, right? And... So I don't want to be a CEO for many reasons. One is, you know, I really prefer balance and, and um, it's just not interesting to me as a creative person. And that's what happened to me at Google, which was I couldn't be promoted above the level that I was without starting to manage more and more people, which is just something that I didn't want to do. I'm an entrepreneur. I love starting things. And so I guess I have sort of an idealistic view that if there were more women who were the Mark Zuckerberg though, right? Like who were the ones starting it, that the policies that maybe they, they set forth could, could radically transform, you know, what we think of as a corporation. And cause all the corporation is right. is a collection of people who adhere to a certain set of rules. Um, someone who, um, you know, is, is earlier in her career and um, has to pay for childcare and the childcare is eating up, you know, a huge percentage of her take-home pay. And at the same time, it's certainly not enough to give that childcare provider a quality of life. And so I'm like, we, it seems like we just, there's, in my view, I feel like we as a society don't necessarily put our dollars behind the things we say we care about, uh, you know? Um, and it'd be really, really interesting to your point if we did, I think. Well, not really, because you have to take into account the power structure, it's a very uneven power structure. The person above you has almost total power over you. And then as you get higher in that structure, the power, it becomes more concentrated is the word I'm looking for. So it's not just a collection of people because a collection of people assumes that there's some sort of even power dynamic and that the best, you know, wins or something like that. And I, power structures are really hard to change. And, you know, a CEO is really unlikely to change anything about that structure because it's a threat to their power. So I do think that the change has to come. First of all, I, I'm very encouraged by like the female entrepreneurial community, which is growing like crazy. Maybe it's not about abolishing the old, but building the new. Yeah. Well, and did you, um, you know, what are, do you have any logistic issues now that you're in this crew? Cause I, I do think that's one of the big themes I hear over and over again, that it's not even necessarily the idea that people want to be just in a nine to five all the time. It's the, it's the tail, the beginning and end of the day that causes some of the most uh, challenges for women in terms of 
the logistics around like, oh, well, you you might have an, an hour and a half commute to work and then your daycare might be a half hour away from wherever that is. To me, like the whole school experience and, you know, childcare, you know, for the younger years, none of it matches what happens in the corporate environment. None of it. So it's like it, it causes all, and then nobody wants to talk about it because you feel like you're complaining about your job. But um, it is actually really, really stressful. Which is really another big uh, uh, subtext of my book or the, the inspiration for it, which is we're not allowed to be honest about all these really very real challenges and concerns that we have as working women. Because if we're honest, one, we're seen as lacking ambition or, you know, we're not taken as seriously in the workplace. And two, because, you know, because like books like Lean In, they make you feel like if you don't want to run yourself ragged, you're sort of betraying your identity as this modern empowered woman. And so there's this distinct lack of of honesty in the professional world about these very big challenges and concerns that women have. And so I hope that by being honest about them and just putting them out on the table, that, you know, we can sort of address these structural issues that are so much more of the, so much more the source than, you know, a culture that rewards women for being nice. Like, maybe that's true. But right now, we've got a lot of structural problems that are way worse. And so, you know, in, in your day now, as your kids are getting a little bit older, it, it, even though you've, you've embarked on this really entrepreneurial journey as an author and speaker, do you still have any logistics challenges? I, I'm starting to travel for speaking engagements. Like I have to go to India in November. And yeah, it's, it's a lot. I, between now and the middle of November, I'm going to like seven different cities, um, you know, and I'm in and out as fast as possible so I can get back to the kids. But um, my ex-husband has been really accommodating of this travel. But on top of that, I have to manage all the logistics with my mom and then fill in with babysitters and playdates. So like, it's almost a full-time job to figure out the logistics of my children's lives before I go. I mean, it literally takes me forever. And then there's three of them. And then when I leave, I'm still thinking, oh, did I tell my mom that, you know, my ex-husband is picking them up at six from this play date? You know, it's like, I'm still the captain of the ship and I'm still managing all those logistics. So just getting them in place to begin with is difficult. Um, so yeah, I, you know, thank you for sharing it. If you could go back in time to maybe when you were first starting out and like thinking about your job at Google or even before then, is there anything that you wish you could tell your younger self about maybe ways to do things differently or advice you wish you could take? I guess I would say that I'm not crazy, like, because I just never, felt I belonged in that world. And I felt I, a lot of times I was hustling for my own self-worth, you know, to prove to myself and others that, you know, I, I was good at my job and being a creative person. I always felt I did things very differently. I thought about things very differently. And I think I felt that was something I was constantly trying to hide. And I was constantly trying to pretend that, you know, I was this person that you needed to be at work in order to get the validation and approval that, that 
you know, I guess I wanted. So um, I guess it would be the same thing I say in the book, I would say to myself, which is just be who you are and own it. And, you know, if success is different for me than other people, just own it. And uh, yeah, that's probably what I'd say. That's it for this time, but we'll be back next week for another conversation with another inspiring woman. If you could take just a minute to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to hear these stories. The 43% is produced by me, Claudia Reuter, Cynthia Pimentel, and the whole team at Wonder Media Network. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our music is from Martin Wisenberg. You can find The 43% wherever you listen to podcasts and on our website at the43percent.com. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome week.